Hey, book by book, I'm Richard Buse, welcoming you to the next in our series of Bible studies. It's the Bible, and we're doing the book of Revelation. We're doing it together as a little team, and I hope you're going to join in. Here's Paul Blackham, who's going to help us, and here's our special guest, the Reverend Stephen Nichols, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Nichols, I could even say. And as we turn to the Bible, we're coming now to study number six, and uh, as we, we're going to call it, Jesus slain before the creation of the world. Now, if you've done it in, shared with us in the earlier studies, we looked at the seven seals and the seven trumpets. We're coming now to the very centre of the book, I'm sure you agree, where we're looking at the whole principle of victory. So before we come on to the next series of seven visions, we've got this big section in the middle, which we're going to enjoy, I think, and profit from very much. Let me read from chapter 12 then. Chapter 12 and the first five verses. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. As we sit here in Plymouth, England, right by the harbour here in Plymouth Sound, let's look at these verses together and the verses that follow as well, and see if we can help one another in this time of Bible study. I mean, look at this verse, chapter 12, and a different set of images, actually. Now, who is this woman mm. with her child and then the dragon? What's all that about? Well, at first it's like, extraordinary. What's all this imagery? But again, as we so often... It's all in the Old Testament, and actually, this is almost like a little, a little compilation of Old Testament references. And what's this woman? Well, and, and this child and the dragon. Well, the dragon's the devil. That's easy enough. We know that for sure, the devil. And then this woman, who's that? And she gives birth to a child. Well, that woman's really the church. Down through the ages, and right, we even think about Genesis 3.15, that there's a promise of the Messiah who's going to be the seed of the woman. And then that woman really becomes like the church down through the ages, and the devil's trying to crush the woman or kill her, be, kill the church before the Messiah's born. So you can, and we know that the child's the Messiah because he's going to rule with a iron scepter. And you think, hang on, that sounds a bit like Psalm 2, when it's the Messiah's going to rule with, a, with an iron scepter. So you can think that the devil remembered that there was that promise in Genesis 3.15 that there's this child going to be born. And so the devil's thinking, I've got to kill that church before he comes because he will destroy me. So in a way, you can see that going through all the Old Testament. And I don't know, we could think of Pharaoh. Yes. And then he, he corners the church at the Red Sea and he's like, right, let's wipe them out. And he's not able to do. And then um, Haman in the book of Esther, he's like, I've cornered the church. I'm going to wipe it out before the Messiah's born. He's not able to do it. That's, it's all, it's really just those stories of church history being painted in these incredibly vivid images. Well, yes, and also I've still got a bit here in the Old Testament with Jacob when he has those dreams Oh. And he says, I had a dream about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. I think that also relates a little bit to this part of the scriptures here. 
Yes, and you had New Testament. Oh, I was you? just going to say Herod. I was going to throw him into oh, the pot. Tries to stamp <laughs> yeah, out in the, the pot. Messiah. Yeah. Before he, he does takes the, his kingdom, <laughs> he's a threat to him. He's too. another one. Yeah. yeah. So here we are thinking around the whole theme of uh, victory, and of course the camera angle has changed now completely. We're looking at war in heaven. Look at verses seven to nine. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. It seems that we're not looking now exactly at the cross of Calvary outside Jerusalem. We're looking at the spiritual warfare and the spiritual victory that was won uh, in the higher places. While Christ was offering his body for victory over the devil and over all of evil and, of course, for the forgiveness of our sins. Meanwhile, war in heaven on a spiritual angle. And uh, the devil and his angels fight back, it says, verse 7, but they were not strong enough and they took their... And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon is hurled down. So where is the principle of his victory, of his defeat, mm. and of Christ's victory? It's there actually at the cross, mm. and it's celebrated in heaven. It's something along those lines. I mean, how does the chapter 12, verses 10 and to 12, explain the life and the persecution and the victory of the church across time then? Mm. I mean, how does the, the church beat the devil? through suffering and dying. We might as well try and apply that a little bit. What do you think, Steve? Well, it's another picture, another pattern, is it? Then I heard, verse 10, Ooh. we're starting again, at the cross again from a heavenly perspective. Then I heard a loud voice, and we see uh, the accuser in verse 10, the accuser of our brothers, Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Well, how is it that he can no longer accuse us? No. Well, because of the cross, <laughs> because all that stood opposed to us, the rules and regulations, all our failures were nailed to the cross when Christ died there. Satan has nothing left to throw at us. Mm. And so he's been hurled down. The accuser has been hurled down and he's furious mm. because judgment happens at the cross. Judgment happens on him. His time is short. He's defeated at the cross and he's living from now on on borrowed time. Mm. He knows he's, he's fatally wounded. The end is inevitable, uh, but he's furious and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short, he says at the end of verse 12. He's like a dictator who's lost his centre, his capital. Mm. Next stop, the border. That's right. Oh, he's the, like the strong man's bound and all yeah, that. Absolutely. Wow. So it's a time of great uh, suffering for the church because mm. they're, the they're facing the particular anger and fury mm. of a defeated enemy, Satan. Mm. Uh, great opposition. And how do the saints overcome him? Well, not in their own strength. Yeah. You know, we daren't do that. Yeah. But verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, mm. and by the word of their testament. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I mean, the devil always does what he wants. And that's yeah. his great temptation. Do what you want. Yeah. But to the saints, no, they don't love their lives. They lay them down, holding on, persevering with, with the cross, with Christ. Wow. And also... This woman, who we take to be the church, is preserved out there in the wilderness. Do you see verse 6? We she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. What's that, Richard? You promised in the last study you would tell us. Yes, I know. Well, then let's look at again verse, verse 14 of the same chapter, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. If you take a time to be a year, that's one time, two times, that's three years and a half. Three and a half years. 1,260 days, same period of time, huh? three and a half years. Look at um, chapter 13, verse 5. 
The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. Same period of time. What's happening? Fierce opposition coupled with being preserved and being victorious. Where, where in the Bible do we have a period of three and a half years that's significant? Back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, where Elijah, the prophet of God, is told to pronounce judgment upon the land in the form of a drought that will last for three and a half years. He prays again and the drought is lifted. In that time, Elijah is given tremendous supremacy, spiritual supremacy in the land. He's facing great opposition. Jezebel is there, the prophets of Baal, but he's given victory. And so we take that period. What is happening is that the scripture is taking that period of time as symptomatic of our era today. Mm. And the same thing uh, when we look at James chapter 5, uh, when we read that we're, Elijah was just like one of us. He prayed for three and a half years and his prayers were answered. Mm. So we can have that same confidence. When we pray in the name of Jesus, when we witness in his name, we can expect advance all over the world. Wow. At the same time, experiencing great opposition. So that three and a half years is a very significant and a very encouraging time for anyone who's a believer today. That's brilliant, Richard. You've, you've fulfilled your promise. It's clear. <laughs> it's clear now. Well, you see, then when we, once we talk about the opposition, look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. This strange and apparently invincible beast from the sea arises. What do we yeah. make of him? Oh, well, to be, it's, at first you go, what kind of a creature is this? And it's got, it's a bit of a leopard and a lion and the dragon's giving him power and it's got all these heads and horns. At first it's like, what is that? And then you remember the book of Daniel. And in, back in the back book of Daniel, all these empires of the world were like these beasts and like leopard and lion and ram and a goat and all these sorts of things. And you can see that in this image, they're all kind of bundled up together and there's this beast. Now, in a way, it probably, when John's writing, he's thinking, oh, the Roman Empire's like a beast that's cruel and red in tooth and claw. And, and yet, of course, there's more empires to come and more beasts and they're given power from the devil and they oppose the church, political power, religious power yes. to oppress the church. And the one beast comes, another one comes. That's, it's really saying what you just said. There's like, that's the period we're in. There's tremendous opposition and we might think, this beast is horrendous. How can we stand against it? The Lord's promising us, don't worry, it will not overcome. The church will prevail. It's a strong political sounding beast that's arisen. Yeah. But then I also see, of course, I mean, it sounds hopeless in a way when it you does. think about it. But then verse 8, I think, lifts our spirits. I wonder if, if you agree with that, Stephen. Verse 8 is such an encouragement, isn't it? The, those whose names have been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. Yeah. I mean, the victory has been won. It's been decided even before it's even started, <laughs> even before the beast ever rose up. Mm. His, end was, his end was determined. So the outcome's inevitable. The Lamb was slain wow. from before the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Because we said the cross of Christ is at the centre of history. It was at the centre of history before there was any history. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is the wonderful thing. And the, but it, even so, it says at the end here, this calls for patience, endurance and uh, faithfulness yes. on the part of the saints because we are aware of the opposition. Yeah. In fact, even more so as you come on to verse 11 of chapter 13. Here comes another beast out of the earth this time. Seems to be a religious beast. 
Let's, uh, what does it actually represent, Paul? How would you? How does it mark its followers, and why mark its followers with six six six? See what you can do. See what I can do. Well, I think it's it is a religious, bit. and in a way, it's telling us that one empire falls. And you might say, "Oh, that's it now. Everything's going to be fine." No, there'll be another one until Jesus comes. There's always going to be another beast. Sometimes the political threat we might be like communism or something. Other times it's more of a religious regime. But they're all the all of them will make life hard for the church and oppose it. But the number six six six. Sometimes people worry: Is it some sort of <laughs> system of buying? Or what does it mean? And why is it on our hand or on the head? Well, six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. And he always falls less than seven. Seven's the perfect number. And it's like six is always less than seven. Always falls short. And three times falls short over and over again. That's what man's like. He tries to make these empires and kingdoms. They always fall short over and over again. Why are they on the hands and on the head? Well, it's not so much about having written on your hand the number 666. It's like what you do and the way you think is all to do with man and his kingdoms and human religion. Exactly. And as, uh, well, here's William Hendrickson's wonderful commentary, More Than Conquerors. He says, failure upon failure upon failure. Take heart, Christians. (laughs) Because it'll always, the opposition will always end ultimately in failure. And we have to, it's part of our mindset, actually. And we should be very, very encouraged. This religious beast kind of coupling up with a political beast. Sometimes they're working together to crush us, if they possibly can. Look at verse 11 to... Uh, no, look, look at uh, verse 14, 1 to 5. What about that? So the beasts, they seem to rule on earth, but then all is different once we change the scene to Mount Zion. Do you mm-hmm. see that? 14 verse 1. The, 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 before me was the Lamb standing on Mount, Mount Zion with him, 144,000. Uh, what's this teaching us, would you say, Stephen? Well, again, it's another one of these new pictures. Then I looked, a new vision. And here we are again with 144,000 who we saw earlier, the church, I think we said they were the church triumphant, delivered from all the persecution of chapter 13, all the buffeting. And uh, there, they're sealed, they're purchased, they're safe, they have a new song. So all the energies of the kingdoms around us, they look as if they're in the ascendant. Mm. Actually, it's the death throes of the dying kingdom. Wow. That's helpful for us to hold on to. As we're rounding off our study now, I mean... We are concluding, well, let's conclude actually with verse 11 of chapter 12 once again. They overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. We might ask ourselves, what, why is blood, the blood of Jesus, so powerful? When people sometimes think there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Why is, what is it about the blood that's so powerful against evil? The answer is, it seems, that the devil's way is one of diametrically opposed. So his approach is that of power and grabbing. Mm. The cross and the blood speak of something completely different, of love and self-giving. And when to quote Dick Lucas of St. Helens Bishopsgate in London, he says, when you see the power of God at work, what you see is weakness. And nothing looks weaker than the blood, but it's at Calvary that the victory is won. Some people think that Easter was the victory and, and Calvary... The cross was the defeat. No, the cross was the victory. And Easter, the resurrection, was simply the acknowledgement on high of the victory. Mm. Let's rest in that and make that one of our, again, our verses to remember. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. 
God bless you and thank you very much for joining us in the study. We'd like to do another one before too long.